0: Uh, growing up, um, I played a lot of sports. I was very competitive from a very young age uh, as a little boy and wanted to play every sport I could. I, I played uh, football and baseball and basketball and soccer and kind of all of them. Uh, as I got older, as I got into high school, uh, probably around my sophomore year of high school, I kind of gave up everything else for basketball. Uh, that was kind of my first love, and I loved basketball, and I got real serious about it. And so as I did, I started to embrace all the things that kind of went around it, not just the sport. And what I mean by that is not just playing or being on teams or going to the gym or playing. I started to do all these different workouts. Uh, my brother Jed was 15 months younger than me, and he loved basketball as well. And we did all these workouts together. We do plyometrics, which is like jump training on boxes. Uh, we had crazy shoes that had great big platforms on the front. So your heel couldn't touch the ground to work on your legs and your calves. And we'd run stairs and we'd do dribbling drills. We did all this stuff because we were really serious about basketball. And we started to embrace kind of all the secondary things that are really important if you want to be good at this one thing. Uh, if you think about it, um, the same is true in just about any discipline. If you want to be really good at it, it's not just doing the thing, but oftentimes there's other parts that go along with it, right? Like you decide to play an instrument, Uh, You want to be good at playing the guitar and you've got to play scales and learn where the notes are and practice that over and over. You want to play the drums. You have to do the rudimentaries to be able to to do the things when you actually seek to play. And so part of that becomes like those things that maybe aren't the most fun. uh, Maybe the things that don't really give you the great joy, but you kind of see that they're really important to actually help you be good at the thing that you want to be good at. And that's true in just about all disciplines. And I think it's actually true. And there's a correlation even with our spiritual life uh, to do the things and follow Jesus in every area of our life. We say that all the time here that we want to make disciples that make disciples. Being a disciple of Jesus is growing in obedience to Jesus in every area of your life. And so that means doing it in all things, seeking to trust God in every area. Not just what we often think of, like reading your Bible or coming to worship, but in every little thing. And sometimes some of those things are kind of like the workouts and the secondary things that you're seeking to be good at a sport or music or whatever. It's not the most fun. And sometimes it's hard. And sometimes it's difficult to do those things. But if we're going to be obedient to Jesus, we're going to seek to do those in all ways and all things. And so today, Jesus is going to talk to us very directly about going to a sinning brother or sister, someone in your life that's walking away from the Lord and doing things and how you confront them and what that looks like. And I'm going to tell you, to me, this is kind of like the running stairs and doing box jumps. And it's not something that I enjoy. Uh, This is not my personality, right? Like I'm not an overly confrontational person. And so when I read what Jesus tells me to do here, I go, okay, (laughs) okay, Jesus, (laughs) You say to do this, but a lot of times it's through gritted teeth and like, okay, I'm going to follow you because you tell me to do this, but it's not something that I'm naturally real excited about. It can be pretty difficult at different times to go and to confront someone or to speak truth to someone who's walking away from the Lord. And so I'll just tell you, uh, it's not something I naturally enjoy, but I've had to do a lot of, particularly as a pastor. And in doing it, what I have found is that God is always faithful. Even when I'm not really excited about it, he's at work in it. And oftentimes um, he meets you in ways that you don't kind of readily see or maybe you weren't anticipating. But I say that, and I would also tell you that sometimes it's really not easy. Sometimes it doesn't go as you hoped. Sometimes you do what you think God is telling you exactly to do here, and you follow the steps of what he says, and the person walks away and goes, I don't want to hear that that's really hard when that happens but i want us to look at this passage together today and i want us to be reminded of what god does call us to and the promises that he gives us here and the way he says this works and so as we look at this being obedient to jesus in every area of our life coming under his lordship in all things speaking the truth to people even when it's not easy and so i want us to think about this passage this way the first thing i'm going to ask is why is it so hard i don't know if Buff you some people maybe personalities are a little different and this isn't as big of a deal to you as maybe a struggle it is for me but my guess is for a lot of you it is and so why is it so hard secondly the steps that Jesus tells us to take and why and then lastly there's a great promise that he gives us that I think is great encouragement to us as we step out in obedience right and so I want to stick in there with this promise that he gives us And the encouragement that is, right? So why is it so hard? The steps he tells us to take and why. And then lastly, the encouragement that goes with what he tells us to do. So look at verse 15 with me. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And I'm going to stop right there for just a second. And I want you to think about how vitally relevant this text is. And I want to ask this question. You don't have to answer Uh, I'm going to ask this question for you to think about it because I actually already know the answer to it. How many of you have been hurt by someone else's sin in your life? And you don't have to answer because I know it's 100%. I know it's every single person in the room at some time in your life. That someone else's sin and the way in which they are ignoring God and the world he created and the things they're doing that have brought difficulty in your life. And I know it's 100% because we're sinful, broken people living amongst sinful, broken people who have relationships, and that happens. But then I want to ask a second question to follow up to that as you think about that. How many of you, when that happened, went directly to the person to talk to them? And you don't have to answer that one either. And just as I'm sure the answer to the first question is 100%, I'm positive that the answer to the second question is far less than 100%. Because it's hard. It's really difficult. It's not an easy thing to do. Oftentimes it's awkward. Oftentimes if you've been hurt, if someone's really done something that's very personal and their sin has really affected you deeply in a personal way, it's really difficult. Oftentimes you don't want to relive it. You know, I, just, I just want to forget about that. I don't have anything to do with that. You can quickly seek to move on. Because it's difficult, we're really good at making excuses on why we don't do it. While well, we ignore what Jesus clearly tells us to do here. And so I want us just to think about that for a second, why that's so hard and why oftentimes we don't do the thing that Jesus clearly tells us to do here. And I think it's important for us to think about this because oftentimes our disobedience in doing what Jesus calls us to do is a gospel issue. I say here a lot, if you've been around Church of the Apostles, that we want to be fluent in the gospel. Or we talk about gospel fluency, that is taking the good news. Gospel means good news the good news of who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. And we want it to be applied to every part of our life. We want to see who we are in Jesus and what it means for us and what he is calling us to. And we want that to be working its way out into everything. So we want to be fluent, just like we're fluent in English here. And I'm saying these words and you can understand what I'm saying. We want to be fluent in the gospel and how we apply it to our lives and so oftentimes when we're not addressing something when we're not doing what god tells us to do it's because we're not believing something's true about who god is right if he clearly tells us to do something and we go i don't think i'm going to do that then there's some unbelief in our heart that's leading us to ignore him right that's leading us away from it we're not seeing the fullness of who he is and so oftentimes when we come up against someone who's who's wronged us so there's some sin and we go man i should address this And I see this real clearly and we don't oftentimes it's because, well, I don't know how that'll go. They might get mad at me. I'm not sure what that conversation will be like. I'm afraid it might cause more problems. So it'd just be easier to kind of ignore this and just not do it. And so I would just say to you, when we start to operate that way, when here's what the clear command of God's word is, that you go to the person and you talk to him and we go, well, I'm not going to do that What we're doing is we're saying that we care more what people think of us than what God says. We're not seeing God as glorious. Right. If we see the glory of God and who he is and his majesty and that he is all knowing and he is all powerful, that he is perfect love, that he knows everything about you, that he knows what's best for you. And then he says, do this. And you go, no, I don't think so. What we're doing is we're caring more what people think than what God says. And I'm going to tell you, we all do this. Every single one of us in this room has done this. I say one of the most pointed ways that I see this happening in the life of believers is when the opportunity arises to share your faith. And you go, "Uh, I don't know how that's going to go. They might think I'm crazy. Right. They may think I'm, you know, if I tell my neighbor this, then what are they going to think of me and say, oh, I'll do it some other time. And what we're doing is we care more. We're getting our identity more from what people think of us than what God says. We're not seeing God as glorious. And we all do this at different times. And we allow that to stand over us. We let that fear kind of cloud our judgment instead of stepping in in obedience, instead of holding fast to what God says. We're getting our identity from what people think. And I want you to understand, particularly in what Jesus is saying here, how important this is. When we see God as glorious, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to fear people. We care more what God says than what people think or what they might say. And when that is true, when we see that, when we see God as glorious, it frees us to truly love people because I'm no longer not saying or saying what that might offend them, right? Because I want them to like me or what they think about me, which is ultimately selfish. But I'm now being freed to say, because I love you, I'm going to speak the truth to you. I'm going to say those things because I see God is glorious. Do you see how that works? And so often we miss that. And so we miss it because we're not seeing that God is glorious. But I'll give you another one. Why it's so hard and why we miss it. Sometimes when you see a brother or sister or somebody walking into something that you know is sin. Or they're embracing it in their life. And you see it clearly and you have a relationship with them to speak into that. And you don't. And you don't because you don't like that confrontation and all those things we're talking about. But maybe you don't say it and you say something like, yeah, but who am I to tell them? I don't have it all together. My life's not perfect. I've not ascended the perfect sanctification in every area of my life. Who am I to say to them? And so we kind of make it to where it's like it's a spiritual thing and it's a humility thing. How dare I say anything because I, too, am a mess. And it's kind of a false humility. And I think the problem there when we do that is we're not seeing that God is gracious. Right? That if we truly believe that God is gracious and that He has forgiven us, that He has done for us what we could never do for ourselves, and we understand that I too am not perfect, and the authority doesn't come from me, but the authority comes from God and His Word. And I'm gonna let that stand over, and I'm gonna say that, and I'm gonna do it with great humility and grace because I know I'm not perfect. But it's not an excuse to not go and and confront sin in someone that you love. But we often do that in different ways. And so I want you to think about what Jesus says here, though, in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And so Jesus is speaking to people, to his disciples, to those that are around. Is Jesus aware that the people that he's talking to are sinful? Yes, Right? He's giving a command to sinful people to go to other sinful people to speak the truth to them, Right. And so we go, well, I can't do it because I don't have all my stuff to get. That's not what Jesus says. He tells you to go and to speak the truth. And to go to that person. And so it's so easy for us, though, to make excuses for our disobedience. And I would tell you, those excuses are often tied to we're not seeing fully who God is. And so I just want to remind you before we look at what Jesus tells us to do and the steps he tells us to take, that oftentimes this is hard because we're not fully believing who God is. And I want to remind you of this, that God loves you perfectly and fully in Jesus, even though you're a work in progress. And he chooses to work through the means of people speaking truth to one another, even though we don't have it all together. And that the authority lies with God and his word, not with you. And truly loving is continuing to hold fast to what God says and speak the truth even when it's difficult. So that said, on kind of why it's hard, look at the steps he tells us to take and why he tells us to take them, right? And so 15, he says, go, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. And so the first thing he says is if there's sin in the life of someone that you're walking with, are they sin against you in your life and they've wronged you and it's really sin. He says, you go to them. You go to them and you have a conversation with them. And so I can't tell you, uh, I can't even estimate how many times I've had this very conversation not just as a pastor, even before that, but a lot now as a pastor in a church, how many times people come and say, this happened with so-and-so and and they really wronged me or they really did this. And the first thing that I always ask is I go, have you talked to them? And this is not scientific in any way, but I would say the overwhelming majority of the time, it's no. I'd say at least 75% of the time, it's like, well, no, I haven't really talked to them yet. And so if they're a believer and they tell me that, and they say they haven't talked to him. I say, well, what does Jesus say? And most of the times they go, well, Jesus has to go talk to him. OK, let's start there. That's what he tells us to do, to go and have that conversation and talk to this person. Do that. But before you go, pray. Pray and ask God that he would intervene, that he would bring reconciliation. Right? That's not what Jesus is after here. It's what He says. This comes right on the heels of the parable of the lost sheep and going after the one that's wandering away and, and, and bringing them back. And then he says here in verse 15, and if he listens to you, you have gained your brother. The whole goal here is reconciliation. The whole goal here is repentance. That if they're walking in sin, that they would turn from that sin. And so pray and ask God before you go. Would you bring Reconciliation. Would you give me a heart of understanding? Would I be seeking unity as I go? That's only found in you. And ask God to lead you in that before you go. Two things though, I want you to think about, though, in that situation. Uh, this, will, this will not be for some of you, but it will definitely be for some of you, depending on your personality. Some people are more agreeable than others. That is, they don't like confrontation. Some people really like confrontation. And you probably know where you fall on that. I am more of the agreeable type. I don't really like confrontation. I don't want to. I don't crave that. I'm not looking for a fight. Some people, and I don't mean this as a sinful way. It's just your personality. That's the way you are. You're kind of like, hey, I'll say anything to anybody. And if that's you, I would just warn you of this. When Jesus tells you to go to the one who sinned or a sinning brother, be careful that you have the relationship there to say these things. Does that make sense? We need to have a balance of relationship and challenge, right? There has to be some relational equity there to really speak the truth to somebody. Does that make sense? If you walk around going, that person's sinning and that person's sinning and that person's sinning and I'm going to make a list and I'm going to go let them all have it. And here's how you're wrong and here's how you're wrong and here's how you're wrong. There's probably not going to be a lot of fruit from that. They're going to go, who is this and why are they talking to me this way? And so I just warn you in that, right, that that God calls us to love those around us, but it's often in relationship and speaking the truth to to the people you know and who are invested in your life. And so probably asking that question is a good place to start. But then as you go, be reminded what it says in Galatians chapter six, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Right? If the goal is repentance, the goal is reconciliation. Yes, you go and you speak the truth, but you do it with great humility and great gentleness. Because that's the goal. The goal is not to be like, aha, I got you and here's how you're wrong. The goal is that we want to see repentance and turning to Jesus. Right? Romans 2 says, don't you know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And so being kind and gracious and going and praying before you go, but go talk to the person. That's the first thing that Jesus says to do. You're aiming for restoration. You're aiming for repentance. And so here's the question before we move to what he says the second step is. Is there somebody in your life that you need to talk to right now? Have you been putting that off? That there's someone in your life that you have a real problem maybe a heart of unforgiveness right now and you're struggling with it and you know as i started to say this and going to the person that immediately comes to mind is god convicting you of someone that you should talk to that you want to be obedient to what jesus says and if there is i just say pray about it and then go talk to that person take jesus at his word and do what he's calling you to do so that's the first step second step verse 16 But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And so if the first response is negative, you go to this person, you tell them, you call them to repentance, you you lay out the case, you say, here's what Scripture says. You're doing it in humility, and they say, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to have anything to do with what you're talking about. Leave me alone. He says, well, then you go and you take one or two with you. Right? You go and you get a couple people to come alongside you and you go to that person to have this conversation and Jesus tells you, he says, you do this, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And he's talking about in Deuteronomy, like whenever there's a case going on that there has to be more than one witness, there has to be two, that was the law. So it's not just he said versus what they said, right? Like, well, you said this and I said this and you go, well, we'll agree to disagree. You go with two or three together And you speak the truth and you say that so that we're all kind of hearing the same thing, which is always wise, to be honest. That's wise in any kind of situation when there's uh, maybe animosity or there's going to be a difference of opinion. Or they're going to say, I don't see it that way. And having someone else, particularly when we talk about it within the church, with brothers and sisters in Christ, and we go and we appeal to God's word and we go, we're all in agreement that this is what God's word says. Another person goes, Well, I don't see that. And you go, hey, look at it with us. And now there's two or three people going. We all agree. And you're out of step with what God's word says here. And saying that with great grace and humility and patience and kindness and walking alongside them. But you begin to say that. And two or three witnesses kind of establish that we're all in agreement and we see that you're in the wrong here. And we're all saying that. And you need to hear that. And so he tells you to go to him in that way. I think there's a practical component to that too you know if you go to someone who's wronged you right their sin is against you personally it's easy to be very emotional it's easy to get kind of wound up it's easy when the person comes against you or says i don't agree with you or you're wrong or those things and you go but when you have two or three people with you and i'll be honest i i'll be transparent in my own life i've had this happen had to go to someone and two or three people and i've looked at brothers in christ that i know are are gracious and kind and say i need you to take the lead here because i know where my emotions are right now i know i might say something that's not good and so i need you to take the lead on this i think that's wisdom to be able to do that together and god calls us into that and so he says take two or three with you so that's the second step but then the third step verse 17 if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So what's he saying? The word that Jesus uses here for church is called, uh, and the Greek word is ekklesia. Ekklesia means called out ones. An assembly of called out people from the greater community. Right? And so what he's saying is, you called together those that are seeking to follow God together. Right? Right? Remember, this is a sinning brother. The dividing line is what God calls sin. And so it's those that hold to God's word, and He's the one that defines what sin is. And He says, you call them together your believing community. And you bring them before that, and you tell that this is what they're doing, and this is what's happening. And you go, well, why would you do that? It seems kind of strange. Right? In this public way, and you would say this, and you'd go through these steps, and you would now let the greater community know what's happening. And the answer is that as we seek to follow Jesus, we as the church are the called out ones. That's what that word means. We are called out of the world to die to ourselves and follow Jesus. Right. We said that every time we get together, we're seeking to make disciples who make disciples. We want to grow in our discipleship, growing in obedience to Jesus in every area of our life. And so if somebody who's part of our believing community goes, you know What? I'm not going to follow Jesus in these areas. And we go, you can't do that. That's not the call to follow Jesus. Now, all of us, every single one of us has areas of sin in our heart. We're all wrestling with things. There's all, always areas of unbelief. No one here is perfect. It's not what I'm saying. But there's a distinction when in your following Jesus, you get to a point where you go, I'm going to embrace this sin. It's a different thing to say, I'm struggling with this sin and I want repentance and I want victory in my life. And I want you to help me walk through this versus I don't care. And I'm going to embrace this sin in my life. Those are different things. And so here, when you go to a believing brother or sister and they continue to say no. And they go, that's not what God's word says. And I don't care. And I'm going to do what I want to do. And you're wrong. And I'm right. That's when he says, you go to the believing community. And you tell it to the church. And when the church looks at scripture together and goes, you're out of step, you're wrong. And they go, well, I don't care what you're saying. What that person is saying is I no longer want to be counted as part of this believing community. We're not kicking someone out. They're making their choice by I'm going to hold to my sin over what God's word says. And that then puts them in that place. Does that make sense? and so i want to make sure that we see that and we're clear on what he's talking about because so he says you take it to the church to the assembly and if they continue to go this way he says you treat them as a tax collector and a sinner you see that at the end of verse 17 or i'm sorry let them be to you as a gentile and a tax collector and here's here's the distinction make sure you're clear on what we see jesus goes to gentiles and tax collectors all the time right and he's loving and he's kind and he's gracious Right. And so now the opposite is true when you're part of the believing community and you say, I'm not going to do these things and I don't care anymore. You're putting yourself back outside the believing community. And that's what he's saying. And that's the context here. Now, that doesn't mean that you be ugly, that you're not kind to them, that you don't continue to speak the truth or look for opportunities. It doesn't mean that you don't pray for them. It doesn't mean when you come across a person and you see them that you're you're unkind or you don't talk to him or you don't say a word to him. But there is a distinction between what it means to be part of God's believing community that's seeking to obey him in every area and not. Paul makes this distinction. You see this a lot in the New Testament over and over. We see this in first Corinthians chapter five. Listen to the way he says it. And it helps make that distinction between the believing community and the unbelieving. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and the swindlers or the idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Do you hear what he says? I'm not saying I'm not talking about people that don't claim to be Christians. Right. He says, if, if you were going to not associate with people who do these things that don't claim to be Christians, there would be nowhere for you to go. Right. That's what he says. But then listen to the next thing he says. But now I'm writing you to not not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or an idol idolater, reviler, drunkard, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Now, here's the distinction. Be careful what Paul's saying. He's he's not talking about someone that's in our church that is now a believer. That's a recovering alcoholic. And they get drunk and they come to you and they say, I blew it and I got drunk last night and I want to confess that and I want to continue to move forward. And you say, great, let's pray and we're going to confess that sin to God and we're going to continue to hold each other accountable and move forward. The difference is the person that says, I got drunk last night and it was great and I'm going to keep doing it. And I don't care what the Bible says about that. And when they make that unrepentant sin and I'm going to embrace my sin and continue in that, he says, you're no longer part of this believing community. You then treat them as such. And so the New Testament says this over and over again. Second Thessalonians chapter three, Paul writes, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them, that they may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. You're what he's saying. If they're going to not hold fast to God's word and they don't care, they're not part of this body anymore. And he says, don't treat him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother, right? That that goes back to that restoring with gentleness and respect and continuing to walk after people and continuing to point them to who Jesus is. But there is a distinction now. I mean, think about it just in the context of our own church. We say here, when you become a member, you say, I'm going to be a member of this church. We have a church covenant. A covenant is a promise, a promise that we make to one another. And in our church covenant, we say we're going to exercise and an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as the occasion may require. We're going to correct each other. If we are walking in sin, we're going to come alongside and go, hey, this is not the call to follow Jesus. We are seeking to be disciples that make disciples and we want to be obedient to Jesus. And when we step out of that, we're going to lovingly tell each other because this is important. This is what Jesus calls us to. Or we say a little later, we're going to live carefully in the world, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts and remembering as we have been voluntarily buried by baptism and raised again from the symbolic grave. So there is on us a special obligation now to lead a new and holy life, right? When you come to faith in Jesus, you're a new creation. This is no longer who you are. And God calls us into a family of faith and he tells us to speak the truth to one another to encourage one another, to walk together, to rebuke each other, to say those hard things when we're out of step. And we let the Spirit convict us and we continue to move forward. But if someone says, I'm not going to do that and I don't care and I'm going to continue to hold fast to my sin, you say, well, you're not part of the membership. You're not part of what we're doing here. Now, that said, if you're here today and you go, well, I don't know where I fall on that i got a lot of questions and maybe there's some things I'm doing in my life that don't line up with what Jesus says, but I'm not sure where I fall in that. I would just say to you, I'm so glad you're here. You're always welcome to come in this place and hear the truth of who God is. You're welcome to say, I think that's crazy. I don't agree with you. I say, well, great, let's talk about that. But there's a difference when you say, I am now a Christian and I do believe this and I want to seek to follow Jesus, that I'm going to now seek to do that in every area of my life. There's a dividing line there. That doesn't mean that you can't be here. We want you to be here. Your questions are welcome. But when you say that I'm going to follow Jesus, this is what it now looks like. I tell you, this is not easy. It's not an easy thing to do. It's really difficult. And I know if you stop and think about it, you go, oh, if you're like me, somebody comes to mind and now all of a sudden you're like, oh, do I have to talk to them? It's not, it's not fun. We'd all just rather everything be great and everybody gets along. We're all following Jesus perfectly and there's no issues, but that's not the reality of the world we live in. And so I want you to see the last part here of what Jesus says, because I think there's a great encouragement in what he says here. Verse 18, truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my father in heaven. You go, what is he saying there? We talked about this a couple weeks ago in Matthew chapter 16. Peter makes this confession. You're the Christ. And he says, blessed are you, Peter. God's revealed this to you. And then he talks to him about giving them the keys to the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound. And whatever you loose. And what we talked about a couple weeks ago when we were looking at that is something he says here that's very similar. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Jesus uses those same words again here. But I want you to understand what he's saying by proclaiming the word who God is and what he calls us to and what that means, right? When we speak the truth to each other, when we open God's word and we says, this is what it says. God is speaking, right? Quite literally, God's word is being spoken. The eternal word that's always existed is, is active and it's living and it's speaking the truth. And in the context here, when two or three go to a unbeliever, or an unrepentant brother that's walking in sin and you go, this is what God's word says, The binding and loosing that he's talking about is not us deciding, Okay, well, they're out because they are rejecting this. It's by their rejection of God's word that it's being bound. Does that make sense? Doesn't sit with us. We're being obedient to say this is what God's word says. But the rejection of God's word is what puts them in the place of kind of being bound under that. Does that make sense? And so it's important that we see that and we understand that to be what he's talking about. The rejection of God's word is what alienates and excludes. If you say, I want to follow Jesus in every area of my life and you go, great, this is what Jesus says. Well, I don't want to do that. We're not kicking you out. You're the one saying, well, I don't want to follow him in every area. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about here. And so then he says, if two of you agree on anything they ask, it'll be done for them by my father in heaven. You go, Whoa, What does that mean? So we get together and we do this and we agree and then we'll say and now everything will work out perfectly. I think it's when we come to an unbelieving or, or unrepentant brother. We go, this is what God's word says. And here's what it clearly says. And do you see this? And we're saying that God is going to honor his word. He's going to continue to do what he's going to do. And we trust him in that. That doesn't mean that if we both agree that this is the way it's going to work. Right? Like, this is where you get into basic uh, biblical hermeneutics. How to study your Bible. Right? Verse 19 and 20. Probably the two, two of the most butchered passages in all the Bible. Right? If we get together and we earnestly pray and we decide that we're going to win the lottery today and you agree and I agree and we agree in God's name, then billionaires we will be tomorrow. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about when you agree with what God's word clearly says and you follow these steps and you do the things that he's talking about. And it's so easy for us to twist that because of the sinfulness of our hearts and our minds, but we want to make it something that it's not. But the same is true in verse 20. He says, for wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And I've heard for years, a prayer meeting. God, you tell us whenever two or three are gathered in your name, you're here with us. That's not untrue. You're just misusing the passage. You're just taking it out of context. I want you to think about how quickly we can get that wrong if we uh, misapply if we ignore the context of what he's saying. When we gather here in Jesus' name, is he here with us? Yes. But what happens when I go that way and you go that way? And I get in my car and I drive home alone. Is he gone now? He's no longer there. No, Jesus says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. I am with you always till the end of the age. That's so wonderful that I leave and go this way and you leave and they go that way. And he's still with us. It's not when two or three gather, then oh, then Jesus goes, oh, there's three of them. Now I got to show up. That's not what he's saying, right? What is the context? He says, go get two, one or two to go with you. So two or three and you go and you speak the truth. Right. And when you're. You're gathered in his name and you're speaking his words and you're speaking the truth of who he is. He is there with you in that. When God's word is proclaimed, we are hearing the words of Jesus. And he's here with us because he's the eternal word of God. But it also and I think this is what's so wonderful when I think about the beauty of the promise that he gives us here. When you go and you do the really difficult work of speaking the truth to someone That's walking away from the Lord. And you go this is what God's word says. Jesus is saying you go that. And do that. And you speak my truth. You speak the word. You continue to hold fast to what God's word. And he says I am with you. you, It's so hard to do this. And if Jesus didn't say that I'm with you in that. I don't know that I could do it. But the fact that he says I am there with you. And I am at work in this, and I know it's hard. I'm so overwhelmed when I read the scripture and I hear Jesus say that. He knows how hard it is. He knows what He's calling you to do, but He's saying, I am there with you. I'm in this. And so trust me, and continue to trust me, and continue to speak the truth in all things. Do you see how precious that promise is? Do you see how worth it He is? When we think about everything that Jesus has done for us. And then he calls us to continue to walk with him and call others to walk with him. Is he asking too much? The one who laid down his life for us, that bore our sins on his body, that did what we could never do for ourselves. And he says, I want you to continue to trust me and help others to walk with me and continue to do this. And I am with you as you do it go, oh, thank you, God. And so I'll just end here. I hope that promise lands on you as you think about that. But I would just tell you this. There's been a lot of times in my life where I've had to go confront people. And oftentimes I wait like a week. And I agonize over it and I pray about it. And and then I go and I say, hey, I think there's this area of your life. And like 90% of the time they go, oh, I didn't see that. Thank you for telling me. I can't tell you how many times that's happened where I was so worried. Oh, they're not going to take this well and this is not going to be good. And God comes and he brings conviction to their heart and he opens their eyes to see it. And he continues to change them. And you go, what was I worried about? It's the unbelief of my own heart. And God's working in those ways. Now, I'm going to say it doesn't always go that way. But so often It does. And I would just encourage you in this. So often when we're fearful of the things that God tells us to do. There's this great blessing that would come if we were just obedient. And so wherever that is today, would you ask God to show you what that looks like in your life? And the steps that you need to take in obedience that he'd be honored in all things. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you call us into a family of faith that you tell us to have watch over one another, to speak the truth to each other. I pray that you would help us to see with clear eyes the reality of who you are and the ways that you're moving and the ways that you're working, that you would help us to see the ways that you want to use us in others' lives around us. I pray in the areas where we have unbelief, that you would remind us of your greatness, of your love for us, your great grace for us, I pray that we would see these things clearly today and that we would seek to be obedient to you in every area of our life. And we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.